Hello and welcome to B-Side, where we revisit business world stories and tell a few of our own. Online sexual exploitation of children, or OSEC, is a crime that often happens at home, at the hands of family, the very people who are trusted the most by the victims of this horrible crime. Reynaldo Bico of the International Justice Mission tells Business World reporter Luz Wendy Noble why the Philippines is a global hotspot for this crime and how the pandemic is making it worse. The study by the United Nations International Children's Emergency Fund, or the UNICEF, cited the Philippines as the global epicenter for online sexual exploitation of children, or what we call OSIC. It mentioned hotspot places such as Mactan, Cebu, for example, where live streaming and webcam pornography are widespread in communities. We'd like to know, why has the Philippines become the hotspot for OSIC? And how does these local cases differ or alike in OSEC situations in other countries around the world? I would like to define what online sexual exploitation of children or OSEC is for a better understanding of our listeners. OSEC is a subset of internet-based crimes against children. And I would say it is the most vicious form. But defining it particularly and comprehensively, but simply... OSEC is the production for the purpose of online publication or transmission of visual depictions of the sexual abuse or exploitation of a minor for a third party who is not in the physical presence of the victim in exchange for compensation. So why is the Philippines a hotspot? IJM, my organization, as we work with government and other stakeholders, have identified several factors that have enabled OSEC to flourish in our country. And these are the factors which we think have contributed for the Philippines becoming a hotspot for this crime. First of all, it's our English language proficiency. And this has allowed traffickers or perpetrators in the Philippines to communicate easily with a massive market in the Western countries of potential remote offenders as OSEC customers. We also have a widespread and inexpensive internet access. And even the hardware that is being used for this crime are easily accessible and very common. So you have you know, computers, laptops, mobile phones, and broadcast-capable cameras. We also have a robust money remittance infrastructure in the Philippines because of our overseas Filipino workers. And these uh, remittance centers or, or companies have few existing OSEC detection strategies. And, and this has actually facilitated the exchange of money between local perpetrators and foreign customers. Also, OSEC by its nature is a hidden crime and it's facilitated by technology. So perpetrators think that they can get away with their crimes. They think that it's a low-risk crime and they can earn a lot of money through this criminal activity. But although the Philippines is a hotspot, I would say that the Philippine government has made significant strides in addressing the crime of OSEC. And we've seen through the years that the government has increased its funding to its national response in combating trafficking in persons, including OSEC cases. Additionally, the Philippine government has increased its collaboration with and between international law enforcement agencies through the establishment of the Philippine Internet Crimes Against Children's Center, or the PICAP, 
So this is a center established by the Philippine National Police Women and Children Protection Center, the National Bureau of Investigation Anti-Human Trafficking Division, the Australian Federal Police, and the UK National Crime Agency in partnership with IJM. And this center has facilitated uh, close collaboration and coordination in OSIC investigation in different countries. And so enabling both the source countries like the Philippines and the demand side countries where the customers are to hold offenders accountable. Now, sir, let's go into learning more about the victims of OSIC. How is the everyday life of these children? Can you tell us about their community, their family background? What is the trigger for people close to them or maybe their families or their acquaintances to result into having these children engaged in such activities? OSEC, by its nature, is a family-based crime. And so, based on our experience in our casework, and also as revealed by the study, you know, this crime is committed in the confines of their homes. Normally, you would see these children on the surface as living ordinary lives in a family setting, having their normal activities like going to school, playing. But once you probe further, like for us, when we interview them, when we take their sworn statements and do their videotape in-depth interviews, you would find out that these children have suffered uh, horrible forms of sexual abuse. And these were committed by the people that they trust or in charge of caring for them, like their parents and relatives. And also, I'd like to share some statistics that we gathered about these child victims in our OSIC study. In 2019, in partnership with the Philippine government, with the Interagency Council Against Trafficking and uh, the U.S. State Department, as well as with other uh, stakeholders. And based on the study, this is what we learned on the victims and the perpetrators of this crime. For the victims, the median age is 11 years old. And the youngest victim, for those cases that we looked at in that study, is less than one year old. So this involves really very, very young children. 86% of the victims were female and 14% male. We are seeing, in this case, a rising number of boys being involved as victims. According to the study, we found out that 41% of the victim's abuse was facilitated by their biological parents and 42% by their other relatives. We also found out in the study that without intervention, the abuse would often last for years. And based on the cases that we looked at in the study, the average length of abuse was two years. Also, there's this misconception that these children or these victims would come from very poor families. But that's not the case. Poverty is not the driver or the cause of this crime. So while OSEC traffickers in the Philippines exploit children for financial gain, they are committing this crime not because they need to survive. They are committing this crime because they are motivated by greed. And one does not need to be poor to find OSEC lucrative. And in our cases, many of the traffickers that were arrested have resources and homes which are well above the average standard of living in the Philippines. So in this crime, we are not dealing with the poorest of the poor families. So we really cannot equate poverty with 
criminality. Sir, how about the geographic locations? Because from the UNICEF study, they mentioned Mactan Cebu. Are there other hotspots in the Philippines where OSEC happens a lot in communities? OSEC can happen anywhere where there is internet connection. But we are identifying some hotspots and these are particularly in urban centers, of course, like the Metro Manila, some parts of Southern Luzon. But we're also seeing cases in Mindanao and even in far-flung places. The pandemic has changed our lives. So this is true for children as well, right? School sessions are interrupted. They cannot play outside and they have to stay at home all day long. How is COVID-19 and the resulting lockdowns impacted OSEC situations? Definitely, we are seeing increase of incidence of OSEC brought about by COVID-19 lockdown. And also, data would indicate that really that is the case. Like, for example, there's a report from the UN Women and OSCE that noted an increased number of reports of child abuse during the period of COVID-19 emergency measures. Also, the report acknowledged that isolation with potential perpetrators is an additional risk factor for children to become victims of trafficking, particularly sexual exploitation. Also, we know that in this uh, lockdown, we are experiencing some economic downturn, but we could not really directly attribute that to the increase of OSEC incidents. But what we know, again, based on casework, is that this lockdown has contributed to the increase in the incidence of OSEC most likely because the traffickers or the perpetrators of this crime are doing it with more frequency and they are you know, taking advantage of the situation. So they have more access to children as they are confined in their homes. Of course, the COVID-19 response, the measures imposed, including school closures, has expanded the traffickers' access to children. And there's also this lack of visibility as more barriers to detection are now present because victims have less or no access to teachers and other community members to whom they might be able to disclose the abuse that's happening to them or display indicators of uh, being abused. And of course, as more people, especially the customers in Western countries, uh, spending more time in their homes. So this has also contributed to the higher demand from child sex offenders abroad for this type of materials. Now, sir, how have efforts against OSEC by governments or NGOs or institutions affected by the COVID-19 lockdowns? What's encouraging to see is that despite the increasing number of OSEC cases brought about by the lockdown, we are seeing our law enforcement and other government authorities uh, working together to address this crime. And their efforts have been increasing in the past months in partnership with foreign law enforcement agencies working together to continue conducting rescue operations, filing cases, and even our prosecutors continuing to prosecute the offenders. And ever since the COVID-19 restrictions were imposed, our law enforcement partners have already carried out at least 22 operations across the country, rescuing more than 80 victims and arresting at least 18 suspects. And legal proceedings continue in courts through video conferencing and online hearing 
And actually, we've seen at least four convictions in the past months. So everyone uh, working to combat OSEC has been adapting to the change brought about by the pandemic. How do you assess the current regulations and laws governing the Philippines related to child protection and internet usage? Of course, it's enshrined in our constitution from Article 15 of the 1987 Constitution about the family, which states that the state should provide children as part of the family. There is also Republic Act 7610 or the Special Protection of Children Against Abuse, Exploitation and Discrimination Act. We also have RA 9262 or the Anti-Violence Against Women and the Children Act of 2004. Are these laws enough to protect these children? You are right that we have already this robust body of laws that addresses on, online sexual exploitation of children. And even in our constitution, as you have mentioned, Children specifically are mentioned and their special protection of the state is mandated. So because of that mandate, we have this wealth of laws protecting children and punishing crimes against them. So you have mentioned most of them. OSEC is a crime punished by Republic Act 9208 as amended or the Anti-Trafficking in Persons Act. And it actually provides a very stiff penalty if committed against children. The penalty under that law is a reclusion perpetua or 20 years in one day to 40 years with a fine of 2 million to 5 million pesos. OSEC is also punishable under the Republic Act 19775 or the Anti-Child Pornography Act. It's also a crime punishable under RA 10175 or the Cybercrime Prevention Act of 2012. And as you've mentioned, this crime also falls under the definition of child abuse under Republic Act uh, 7610. So what is needed really is more of the implementation of these laws. You know, the resources being poured out to the agencies mandated to execute this law. So like, for example, there's a need to continue increase the resources and the personnel of our law enforcement agencies. Also, there's a big gap in aftercare services. Once these victims are rescued, there's a need for them to be placed in shelter or be able to receive services for their basic needs as well as for their protection, even mental health services. Now, talking about the special nature of this crime, since this crime involves the use of technology, and so there's a need for increase in regulation and more legislation in that area. There's one provision in the Anti-Child Pornography Act, I believe it's in Section 9, which provides that the internet service providers need to install technology or software to block or filter child pornography. Actually, right now, there's a heavy debate around this area, whether ISPs can comply with that regulations or whether or not this is really an effective way of addressing OSEC in the Philippines. Because some are thinking that, you know, if only ISPs are able to filter or block these websites, then you solve the problem. But actually, that is not the solution because looking at the world's internet traffic today and the current detection and blocking technologies available to ISPs, ISPs actually are not in a position to see even the content on what is going on in their 
service. And they cannot detect new content, specifically the live streaming of children in OSEC. But what we're proposing, even in our study, is the need to expand and strengthen reporting of uh, suspected child sexual exploitation materials, not just by ISPs, but by the electronic service providers themselves, you know, those companies who are in charge of these platforms on the internet. So there's a need for, you know, a mandatory reporting legislation that would require these ESPs or electronic service providers to report if there is CSM or child sexual exploitation materials happening in their platforms and also the ability to detect those type of materials. Attorney Ray, let's talk about the children. So these crimes happen to them at the age where they are very vulnerable. They're still in their formative years. These damages that they've experienced could last for years. Maybe not physically, but emotionally and psychologically. This could strain them even when they grow up as adults. So in that case, sir, what can we do for them from the side of the government, from NGOs, from the side of say, DSWD, what else can we do to help them to survive such incidents? Each survivor of OSEC has his or her own unique story of abuse and exploitation. And and really, most of them have really suffered these horrible forms of abuse, uh, which has given them massive trauma. So recovery or restoration is really mapped out according to an individualized intervention plan. So you you have to treat each victim individually and there's no uniform timeline to help them heal, to restore them. And there are just these various needs from the time of rescue up to the time that you would say they are in a place of safety and strength. As I mentioned earlier, a safe placement facility or even a family that would take care of them, even through a foster care system, so that they'll continue to be in a family environment. Because really, in this crime, you remove the victim from a family setting because really the family is abusing the child or the parents are abusing the child. There should be a replacement to that. And also, they need to be provided with their basic needs. And they have to receive also treatment for comprehensive mental healing as most of them have suffered trauma. And so what we're doing is our social workers are working with the DSWD and local uh, social workers as well as other uh, civil society organizations, even the church to provide psychosocial and therapeutic services and to ensure that they will continue their schooling, that they will be provided vocational training if needed, uh, life skills, even to prepare them for their eventual reintegration to their family or to their communities. But still, much needs to be done in that area. So in terms of placement and psychosocial services, that's where we should cooperate and partner to provide these needs. And I think this is where also the business community can take part and, you know, make a difference in the lives of these uh, survivors. And that concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard Reynaldo Bicol of the International Justice Mission speaking with Business World reporter Luz Wendy Noble. A few takeaways from their conversation. Online sexual exploitation of children is not driven by poverty. 
It's driven by greed. The people exploiting these kids aren't committing this crime because they need to survive. They're doing it because they want easy money. We do have laws in place, but we need to implement them, and we need to take care of the victims. There's a huge gap in aftercare services, and this is where we can all pitch in. It takes a community to protect a child. This episode was recorded remotely on October 2. This is Samuel Marcelo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>